This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good Wednesday afternoon and welcome to the program. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon while Linda Swain is off. Thank you so much for tuning into the program today. It's a beautiful afternoon uh, here in VOCM Valley this afternoon. And we have quite a busy show for you here today. Uh, Lots to talk about. My guest on today's edition of On Target is Jerry Byrne. He is the Minister of Immigration, Population Growth, and Skills, and he's also the MHA for Cornerbrook. He joins me on the line now. Minister Byrne, good afternoon. Great to be on board with you, Richard. So thanks very much for having me have a chat with you and uh, with your listeners about a really, really important topic for Newfoundland and Labrador, which is growing our population and our skills base here. Absolutely, and thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your schedule to join the program. And we're going to get into um, all things in relation to uh, the uh, your portfolio of immigration, population growth, and skills. Uh, but very first off, uh, you're also the MHA for Cornerbrook, and as we've been talking about a lot over the last uh, couple of days, there's a bit of a storm coming Uh on Saturday, uh, it's going. It's looking like Hurricane Fiona is going to really hit the West Coast hard uh, as it comes up uh, the Atlantic Ocean there. So, just to start off, uh, Minister Byrne, you're the MHA for Cornerbrook over on the West Coast. So, what sort of preparations are underway in your district ahead of the storm? Well, you know, we're doing our own preparations. I'm actually spending a little part of the day this evening uh, making sure that I've got all the. Um, all of the loose ends around the yard, battened down, put away as best as possible. It's now kind of the close of summer, uh, much to the chagrin of many. It's the close of the summer season, so I really encourage everybody, all uh, homeowners, all property uh, owners, to to really look at the things that are around your yard. We're going to be hit by some, by the look of the forecasting, the the tra- tractor trajectory of the um, of the hurricane, the storm as it approaches. It's going right up the Gulf of St. Lawrence and going to swing by the west coast you know we watched uh, with with anxiousness how the storms hit the east coast just a few weeks ago we always sort of clench up and we get very very nervous and anxious whenever that happens to anyone in our province well this time of course is the west coast turn and uh, hurricane season is is full on so one of the things that municipalities are doing they're uh, invoking their uh, their uh, storm or emergency response protocols, making sure that ditches and gutters and storm drains are all uh, inspected ahead of time, uh, that uh, crews are ready on standby to be able to respond to situations as they emerge. But, you know, listen, these storms, Richard, are intensifying, and they're intensifying each and every year, it appears, because of, in large measure, climate change. It is real, it's happening, and it's something that... uh, it's one of the reasons why it drives us to all take action about this. It's it's uh, very, very serious, and uh, we're not immune to this. <laughs> Storms are not u- unusual for Newfoundland and Labrador, but um, it does seem like they're hitting with stronger intensity and more often now than ever before. And now I imagine as well, uh, you know, I'm not totally familiar with the area. I've actually never been to Cornerbrook before. Um, oh, but are there any... You, Richard. Shame, shame, shame. Come, <laughs> yes, I know. Come visit. Come visit. <laughs> but, you know, uh, are there any, I guess, trouble areas that uh, crews will be looking at or any particular areas of, uh, of concern out in that area now uh, as the storm approaches? Well, these things evolve. You know, there are 
identified trouble areas on our highway. We've had highway washouts in the past, um, areas that were literally unaffected for many, many years. Uh, no area issues of concern that suddenly, depending on on uh, modifications that get happen when there's new landscaping that's done and other new systems that are put in place all of a sudden become problem areas. So you know, it's, it's really just a question of vigilance at this point in time is making sure to be aware of the hot spots uh, where washouts can occur because of high uh, floodwaters, high rain. Um, you know, we had under the Tro River, for example, in, the, uh, in some of the shoreline areas where storm surges have caused real, real serious uh, problems. So we're all, it's, it's really just a question now at this stage of the game of vigilance uh, to be able to react, react quickly, but most importantly, just to remind people how to stay safe and when storms do have their strongest impact, recognize the signs of when you have to, um, to move on to higher ground, to have to evacuate. And so always listen and pay attention to the weather forecasts understand exactly what um, the timing of events that will uh, occur, but also any uh, advance notices. Always pay attention to the uh, forecasts and advance notices so that you can be prepared and, and react quickly. This is serious stuff. It, uh, you know, We really need to be very, very cognizant, very vigilant to make sure that um, everyone stays safe because danger is looming. And I guess, too, for you, uh, in, in your position now, you're also working with uh, your counterpart in the Department of uh, Transportation Infrastructure in preparation for this. But I guess you're also uh, working with uh, municipal leaders, Mayor of Cornerbrook, in preparation for this as well. Well, we just talked about it. Um, Mayor Jim Parsons and I had a conversation today uh, with uh, MHA Scott Reed, just sort of talking a little bit about uh, where the storm is headed, what needs to be done and uh, how, uh, how we can both coordinate our services and our efforts to be able to respond to emergencies or situations that demand immediate attention. So yeah, that's, that's part of the open dialogue, that's part of the communications that's so, so important in, a, in an event like this, especially one that's predictable, forecasted. We know it's going to hit, so let's just do the responsible thing and get ready for it and be prepared. Absolutely, and uh, of course we'll be watching that storm very closely now as uh, things become a bit clearer now over the next couple of days in terms of uh, precision around the track and uh, and uh, rainfall amounts, wind speeds, that sort of thing. Uh, but now, Minister Byrne, I want to touch, go in now to uh, your portfolio, and uh, you know. On the topic of population, we saw a decrease in population in the 2021 census, a drop of about 9,000 people from the previous one. But we've also seen population growth over the last five quarters. I believe the last update we had was just a couple of months ago. Um, so what are, what are some of the trends that we're seeing right now in terms of our population and where things are headed? Well, that's uh, you nailed it right on the head there. It's you know We're, we're in a trend right now. So there was Statistics Canada, which is the premier agency monitoring population and uh, aspects of our demographics throughout the entire country, including Newfoundland and Labrador. In the, in the population census between 2016 and 2021, over that five-year period dating back to 2016, you're absolutely right, there was Statistics Canada measured a decline in the overall population in, uh, in the province. That is basically consistent with the trends of every, nearly every five-year census, census period prior to that, dating back to the moratorium back in 1992. Newfoundland and Labrador has lost over 50,000 uh, 
uh, you know, 50,000 people in population since uh, since the moratorium. So every five-year census period that occurs, we've we've really sort of gripped and held our breath to see what the what the numbers may be. And so that kind of caught hold. That story about how Newfoundland and Labrador continues to be in a population decline sort of got, got hold because it came from such a credible source, Statistics Canada. It was not incorrect information at all. But the additional layer to that was that immediately following that census period, in tw- starting in 2021, uh, we saw remarkably and, you know, just inconsistent to what the previous trends have been, quarter after quarter after quarter, every three-month period, Statistics Canada was coming back and reporting population growth in Newfoundland and Labrador. And in fact, you, as you point out, we had five. We have now five consecutive quarters of Stats Canada, uh, basically uh, indicating that the population in Newfoundland and Labrador is no longer in decline. It's actually increasing. We've grown by almost 20, uh, 2,100 uh, people in a very, very short period of time. And Richard, it's in a large measure to two forces. The first one being. In migration, we've had a very successful remote working campaign. During the course of the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, the global pandemic, uh, we saw a change in workforce behavior. We saw a change in the workplace. We saw more and more people working from home where it was able, uh, able to be done. Well, not only do we see more people not go to office towers in downtown Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal or wherever, or Halifax even, we saw people working, you know, they went home to their 400-square-foot condos to, to work, but it didn't take them very long to realize that, you know what, we don't really actually have to be in downtown Toronto in a 400-square-foot, 28-floor uh, condominium building. We can work in Torbay, Newfoundland, and Labrador. We can work in Rocky Harbor, Newfoundland, and Labrador. We can work in Lancelou. We can work in uh, Paradise. We can work in St. John's. We can work all over the place. And so we saw a huge, you know, a very significant group of people who were employed in the financial services industry, the insurance sector, accounting, computer uh, uh, coders. Uh, program uh, uh, officers, we saw a huge number of people that actually came to our province saying, we can have an amazing lifestyle, we can bring our job with us to Newfoundland and Labrador, and uh, enjoy all the benefits of the incredible lifestyle that we have here, the natural beauty, uh, the the, uh, peace and tranquility, the, the sense of security. And so we saw big growth in population in large measure because we we promoted our province to take advantage of that change in the labor market, that change in the workplace. And Richard, that's a permanent change. Many people will be going back into the office, there's no doubt about it, but there are many, many, many people who, especially independent, people who are entrepreneurs, people who work for themselves, who work on contract for other companies, many, many people will always now use their homes as their workplace and many of those people are staying in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that was the first driver to population growth. But the biggest, the biggest driver to our increase in population over the last several uh, months has been immigration. In the middle of the pandemic, 
more people have been coming to Newfoundland and Labrador from from places all over the world than we've ever seen in the history of Im- organized immigration into our province. Newcomers are coming. They're making a fantastic contribution to our lives, to our communities, to our province. They're bringing their skills. They're bringing their energies. And so those that's, that is the reason why our population is growing. My guest on On Target today is Jerry Byrne. He's the Minister of Immigration, Population, Growth, and Skills. He's also the MHA for Cornerbrook. Minister Byrne, we're up against our first break of the day, we'll be, but we'll be back in a couple of minutes, and we're going to continue this conversation when we come back. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain on today's edition of On Target. My guest today is Minister Jerry Byrne. And we're right now, just before the break, we were talking about um, some of the trends that we're seeing in terms of Newfoundland and Labrador's population growth. And Minister Byrne, uh, you mentioned that you know, we're seeing more so now than ever before people coming to Newfoundland and Labrador from places all over the world. Um, where are some of the places that we're seeing people coming here from? Well, traditionally, we've seen people in you know in the past, a lot of uh, a lot of people from the UK, Ireland, from some from the United States. We've always had a very strong and vibrant Filipino community here in the province. We've uh, we've been blessed with uh, Lebanese. You know, immigration is not a stranger to Newfoundland and Labrador. We've always had uh, significant migrations of people, from, you know, from around the world. But today, I got to tell you, it's. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more people from places like uh, India, like Nigeria, like uh, East, some of the Eastern uh, European countries in particular. And as you know, we've had so many wonderful people come from the Ukraine, from Ukraine into Newfoundland and Labrador. So I'd say to you that pick a country and you'll be able to find somebody, uh, a group of people, a burgeoning, you know, growing community in our province whether it be from South America, some of the traditional or less than, you know, not uh, not traditional places for immigration in the past. We're seeing people come from all over. And you know what? We're very blessed by it. We are seeing uh, new cultures, new perspectives, new skills brought into our province. The diversity is making us stronger. And, you know, the other thing that we, it, it just, it has to be said because it's been proven time and time again, immigration creates new employment for those who've been longtime residents, wherever immigration occurs. Immigrants bring jobs, they bring wealth, they bring ideas, they bring entrepreneurism. Uh, everywhere that immigration is strong, you see stronger economies. And that is something that uh, has been proven time and time again. And it's one of the reasons, Richard, one of the reasons why, Richard, we've actually seen uh, some of the unemployment rates. Statistics Canada is is producing uh, reports that unemployment, uh, which has always been a perennial, you know, serious issue in our province, unemployment has been going down in the last, uh, over some of many of the the most recent quarters and I really attribute that a lot, not to immigrants taking jobs away from people, which is sometimes you hear that in some circles that immigrants, you know, newcomers, 
compete and take away jobs. The evidence is very starkly different from that. The evidence says newcomers create jobs. So when we look at the diversity of our province now, we have more and more people of racialized backgrounds. We have more and more uh, religious faith community, uh, faith uh, backgrounds in our province. We are so, so richer and more diverse as a result of it. One of the things that I love to, I just, I just love to trumpet it is that today in our province, we have a community of, of just over 7,500 Muslims. And the contribution that the Muslim community in particular make to our healthcare system, the professions, whether it be engineering, whether it be, uh, uh, whether it be healthcare, engineering, whether it be business, I mean, it's just incredible. And hopefully we'll be able to attract more and more people of diverse backgrounds from all different walks of life because we will be better for it. Now, you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, the stigma a little while ago about uh, some people who would say that, oh, immigrants come in and they take jobs and you provide data there that says that that's not true. Do you find that you're having to deal with a lot of those stigmas when we have newcomers coming to Newfoundland and Labrador. Is that something that, uh, you know, you're finding that you have to tackle more and more? Well, we have a responsibility to tackle it because, you know, when we all understand the true story with the full facts and get to realize the contribution that each and every one of us can make, we have a, we have an opportunity, Richard, and a responsibility as global citizens to assist those in need, wherever they, you know, wherever there is a need in the world, we have a responsibility to assist. Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have always stood tall and done exactly that, whether it be in the, uh, whether it be it during the course of September, the terrible events of September 11, or you know, the Syrian uh, uh, relief or the Afghani relief for uh, former refugees that came to our, were invited to our province. We've always lent a helping hand. But in the same process, you know, what we always have to understand is that change is difficult. Listen, change is the universal constant, but it's very, very difficult. And we have to be empathetic that, you know, we have to educate, we have to work with people. We cannot just simply sort of dismiss concerns. We need to really bring to attention the fact that uh, immigration is helping us. It's filling jobs. And in fact, there's a story that I often point out to people is that, if you work in a business where newcomers have been brought into the business, those newcomers are probably saving your job too. Because without those newcomers, because of the labor market shortage in various uh, fields and various businesses, if it weren't for those newcomers, that business might have to shut down and you'd lose your job. And so really, you know, when I, I sit down and I talk to people, you, you, just taking the effort to walk things through and explain them, people really, those who are maybe not necessarily as adapting to change uh, as quickly as, as, as maybe they might otherwise, take the time to educate, to, to listen to their perspectives, understand them and work with them. People do change. It's one of the reasons why our Ministerial Committee on Anti-Racism is so, so important as we become a more and more diverse uh, society, a more diverse culture in our province, uh, you know, we really have an obligation to stamp out, root and stem, all forms of racism. We're going to work to do that. My job as the ministerial co-chair of that committee is to really work with institutions 
to make sure that there's not systemic uh, racism within our institutions, whether it be Memorial University of Newfoundland and the College of the North Atlantic, within government itself, within our policing bodies, within our healthcare system, uh, you know, you name it, we, we've got to we really respond to these issues to make sure that there is not systemic racism or biases and prejudice that exist within our policies and programs. We really need to educate people so that on the ground, on an individual level, people are more uh, aware of the impacts of racism and more conscientious of it and conscientiously stop, stop feeling and, and acting out in ways that are inappropriate. That begins often with children and making sure that, that we bring uh, the message of plurality diversity within our school system. And Minister, Ta Minister uh, John Hagee is working hard on that. Uh, within the uh, within the uh, role of the ministerial committee, but listen, it's there. It's in our society. We've got to identify it. We've got to deal with it. And I think uh, I think our province we've we've made some great steps forward. A lot of work to do, but we've made some great steps forward. One of the things that I often hear from from people uh, from from those situations is, uh, you know, someone will say, um, you know, oh, I didn't realize that what I said was that bad, and you know, it's. It's not that people are necessarily trying to be racist or or um, discriminatory. It's that there there is just a general um, I, I I don't know if I want to say um, ignorance towards it, but you know that they they don't quite understand that oh what I'm saying is wrong. So is that you know I, that must be part of it as well as trying to uh, identify some of those those areas where people aren't necessarily trying to do it, but you know they're through one way or another, they're still making some of those comments that may not be appropriate. Yeah, no, Richard, listen, this is, I'm really glad you brought it up and brought it up in the way you did, because you know what, it is a difficult conversation. If it was easy, we would have dealt with it a long time ago. It is difficult. You, you, you feel sometimes that you're on pins and needles. You want to, you don't want to project that, you know, you don't want to express feelings which are negative and hurtful, but, and sometimes you just, you, you catch yourself, you wonder, listen, that is part of growing, and that's that's not to be stymied or thwarted or prevented. That's that's how we grow as a society. We bring things out in the open. We talk openly about it. Listen, it, it's you know we have a we live in a in a world where in in Newfoundland and Labrador, those who have been here for a very very long time uh, have a very amount a great amount of privilege. We've we've enjoyed wealth. We've enjoyed benefits. We have a responsibility to make sure that those who are in a minority, those who are racialized, those who have not enjoyed that privilege, those enjoyed that benefits that we have, that we welcome them, that we recognize their contribution, and we do not, we never ever surrender the, to the point that uh, they are, you know, that people are lesser or don't contribute. In many facts, when you look at our healthcare system, if you just use that as one example alone, our healthcare system that, that services each and every one of us is so, so much better because of the contributions of newcomers uh, to our province, people of racialized backgrounds. And so just think through that one element alone if you need to have a, a, a baseline, a sort of a, a gathering place to be able to sort of clutch your thoughts. But we also recognize that as we grow more and more diverse, as we grow more and more diverse, it's not just we have to be careful and we have to be aware that sometimes we have racism that occurs between communities that are not necessarily a majority that um, 
that have had geopolitical conflicts uh, in other parts of the world. And we have to make sure that those conflicts are not brought and people are felt lesser here in our province because, you know, that's another form of racism that, that will grow or that has the potential to grow that we have to stamp out root and stem. So we have, you know, the, the racism of, of privilege and uh, of majority against those uh, without privilege, without majority that, that, are, that have been marginalized. We have an absolute responsibility to, uh, to stamp out root and stem that, uh, that form of racism and prejudicial behaviors. But we also have a responsibility to ensure that we continue to grow in a truly, truly uh, welcoming place and that other forms of racism do not creep in. You know, we have indigenous populations in our province. Uh, we in the ministerial committee uh, have listened very, very intently to those of indigenous backgrounds that have felt the scars of racism. We've also felt, you know, we've heard from indigenous people themselves that, that have felt scars from indigenous, uh, you know, being uh, critical of other indigenous. And so we've had scars, we felt, we've heard and felt the scars of people who come from marginalized, racialized backgrounds being criticized by others from, from marginalized, you know, and, and racialized backgrounds uh, on the basis of geopolitical conflicts that occurred elsewhere. None of this is acceptable within everyone has a right to feel comfortable and free and without fear of any kind of violence, whether it be the threat of violence of words or the threat of violence of action. We need to live in a violence-free province, and that's that's so, so important. So that's part of the work of the uh, of the uh, Ministerial Committee on Anti-Racism. But listen, we've, we have a, we're, we live in a wonderful place. There are instances of racism that occur here which need to be stamped out root and stem. We need to take proactive action to make sure that it uh, does not take hold, that we have to educate not only adults but children. And the greatest teachers of, of adults, in my opinion, are often our children. And that's where we're taking such emphasis. My guest on On Target today is Immigration, Population Growth and Skills Minister Jerry Byrne. We're up against another break, and uh, I want to talk about um, some of the province's immigration targets when we come back, as well as dive in uh, to some of the different groups of uh, refugees that have been coming into the province. We're going to pick up that conversation now coming up after the break. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan in this afternoon. Linda Swain has the day off. And my guest on today's edition of On Target is Immigration, Population Growth, and Skills Minister Jerry Byrne. He's also the MHA for Cornerbrook. And before the break, we were talking about some of Newfoundland and Labrador's population trends. And Minister Byrne, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, the goal uh, that has been set by the provincial government is 1,700 immigrants annually. Uh, where are we with our immigration targets right now? Well, I'm going to pleasantly and positively correct you on that. It, uh, we set a trend, Richard, uh, and it, you know the fact this speaks to how quickly and how successful we have been back in 2018 2019 we set a very very ambitious target of 1700 newcomers arriving in newfoundland and labrador annually and because uh, we had never ever met that target before so we felt it was very very ambitious um so lo and behold we met that target 
we met it and we actually surpassed it. This past, in the last year and a half, we uh, said, let's reevaluate this. What can we do? What, what can we achieve? So we set a target of 5,100 newcomers in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, by 2026. And I can tell you, I'm very pleased to report, we've already exceeded our, our stepwise progress targets to getting there. We're really, really, we've, we've, we've welcomed more newcomers into our province than in the history, than we ever have in the history of our province. We measure that by the number of permanent residents uh, that, uh, that come here, that, uh, that come to work here, that get their permanent residence, uh, residency, and that includes not only the economic or, or working class uh, immigration uh, immigrants, but also our, our beloved refugees who we welcome so warmly and, and, and enthusiastically. So we're, our, our immigration targets in terms of our job market, we are surpassing that number. Uh, and it's like I say, it's one of the reasons why some people are shaking their heads because, you know, Statistics Canada has, you know, has, has put out forecasts saying that the province of Newfoundland and Labrador's population will continue to decline for the next 30 years. And uh, we're, we're making sure that that forecast does not come true. So we've got a target of 5,100 newcomers by the 2026. And, uh, you know, all things working successfully, we are going to meet that before 2026. Because, Richard, why are we doing this? Because we're better, we're richer, we're stronger with diversity, but we're also recognized that by 2028, 50% of the population of Newfoundland and Labrador will be over the age of 55, starting to, you know, sort of leave the workforce, leave the uh, environment where, you know, that uh, contributing to our healthcare system as, as professionals, contributing to our job market. So by 2028, if we fail to do anything, uh, fail to live up to these targets, our population 50% of everybody in Newfoundland and Labrador will be over the age of 55. We're the only province in Canada where the government of Canada is predicting and forecasting a population decline. Everywhere else, they're predicting a population increase. And my job, and I will not relent on this, uh, my job is to make sure that that forecast never, ever comes true. And that's why you've seen me in action on Ukraine, welcoming refugees, welcoming healthcare professionals into our province, welcoming all sorts of skill sets to work in all of our businesses where you know, the jobs are not being filled by the labor market. Uh, I will not stop until I see that, that forecast arrested and reversed, because if we don't, if we don't arrest this and change this, I'll give you a little sort of an anecdote. Ottawa gives us, you know, awards us or provides us with a certain amount of money for health care based on population, on per capita, on population. If our population continues to decline, we are losing more and more money to fund our health care system. So as newcomers come forward and they contribute their jobs, their skills, and their income taxes to our province, through their working, a little known fact is they also do something else for us. 
they make sure that Ottawa can't re- uh, decrease, reduce the amount of money that we get to pay for our healthcare system. And newcomers, young newcomers, guess what? They don't actually use the healthcare system that much. They, uh, you know, they pay in taxes, but as they're very, very healthy on average, you know, generally speaking, immigrants are very, very healthy people. They're young. Uh, Ottawa actually screens out for people with, you know, significant health issues, don't allow them into the country. But notwithstanding all of that little, you know, that, that statement, that's Ottawa's, that's what Ottawa does is that it's part of their immigration tools or, or uh, assessments. So immigrants add things to our province but they also add in ways which people don't often recognize. And so the contributions are so strong and so on. Now, what I would like Ottawa to do, you know, we are succeeding in this province because of what the province is doing. We're the ones taking the charge of Ukraine. We're the ones taking charge of, of, of welcoming refugees. But here's what I need Ottawa to do in order for us to continue to be successful. Ottawa does not have one person working in our province for the Department of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada. There's nobody for a newcomer, there's nowhere a newcomer could pick up the phone and say, can I have an appointment to talk to somebody to, to talk about my permanent residency application? No one. There's nobody there to pick up the phone. Ottawa just announced 41, uh, 41 new jobs in IRCC for Nova Scotia. They're, const- they're adding new people in those offices in other parts of the province. I need Ottawa, I need the federal government to be pro-immigration in Newfoundland and Labrador. The second thing I need from Ottawa is I need Ottawa to treat the Association for New Canadians on a level playing field to what it treats other resettlement agencies. Across Canada, the government of Canada supports resettlement agencies similar to the ANC, but it does so right across the country. They, so they select the agency and, they, and those agencies work for uh, work to help resettle refugees and other uh, newcomers. Ottawa only gives the ANC about $9,000 per refugee for all the assistance that the ANC offers. For some reason, and I just, I'm not saying that Ottawa should give PEI less or the resettlement agency of PEI less. What I'm saying is, Ottawa gives the resettled that their designated resettlement agency in Prince Edward Island $90,000 per refugee to help the resettlement process. In Nova Scotia, Ottawa gives the resettlement agency of Nova Scotia $45,000 per refugee. The Association for New Canadians, this is why Newfoundlanders should be so proud of the work the ANC does, because they do so with such few resources. The ANC, however, gets $9,000. That has to change. And so I've been working, you know, communicating directly to the federal minister and to our federal MPs to address this issue. We are going to succeed. Newfoundland and Labrador is taking charge of its own future. We're attracting new people to our province with new skills and new new ideas and and new, uh, new outlooks. We need everybody to be part of this process, to be part of the success. We need some fundamental changes within how uh, this, this occurs with our relationship with Ottawa. Listen, I've got a great working relationship with Ottawa and the federal minister and the MPs, but there are key issues that need to be resolved. We need a greater, larger allotment of newcomers 
that we're allowed to nominate to Ottawa to bring here. We uh, we're really we need that in order for us to make our 5,100 target. We need more resources for the Association for New Canadians, at least on par with what's happening elsewhere in the country. And uh, we need an IRCC presence. We need an actual immigration, a federal immigration office working in our province, which doesn't exist today. 30 to 45% of all of my provincial staff, their time is being spent answering federal inquiries. It's chewing up their time. They love it. And they're going to keep doing it as if it needs to be done because we are going to welcome newcomers. We're going to do whatever it takes to help them and work with them. But if we had a federal office in our province doing that work, we'd have 35 to 45 percent more time to devote to making the 5100 number a success. That's that's my wish list. Mr. Jerry Byrne, we're up against our last break of the day. Really interesting conversation that we're going to pick up after this break. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Good afternoon, Richard Duggan in the studio uh, for On Target today. Jerry Byrne is my guest. And Minister Byrne, we only have uh, just about four minutes left to the program now before we have to go to the news. But I did want to approach one more topic with you. Um, and that is uh, we're going to go outside of your portfolio now into uh, your role as MHA for uh, Cornerbrook. And uh, we had a story there last week about uh, Marble Mountain and uh, how government is expanding the RFP process to sell to sell it off and uh, how there's the potential there for that to become a year-round facility. So uh, just very quickly, uh, get your thoughts on that and you know what that could potentially mean uh, for the region. Marble Mountain is a fantastic asset for the province. It's a huge tourism generator. It's a it's a healthy lifestyle uh, facilitator. But listen, it's not working. We've got a great group of people now working there who are just turning the place around. We've got an amazing uh, chair of the board there that's providing the government's the governance leadership there. So what we announced last week was not um, a, a change to the RFP structure. It was how do we complement and support the RFP? We're moving forward with a way to divest of, of some of the assets of Marble Mountain while keeping it a publicly available ski hill. Uh, but take advantage of all the economics that are around there because it's a destination of choice. So what we're doing, we're asking uh, those who have real strong knowledge in the alpine ski resort business, that industry, help us to understand what it is that we need to prepare Marble Mountain to make it more lucrative for a divestiture and how can we do that and make it more successful to attract private sector investment into the place and uh, and make it uh, as powerful as it could possibly be. So that's what we announced last week was a, a process by which we're going to ask those with real strong knowledge in, in uh, Alpine uh, uh, Ski Lodge, ski assets, uh, expansion and development, what do we need to do ourselves to prepare for to, uh, marble to be divested? What are, what are the pitfalls? What needs to be added? What needs to be promoted? That's where we're going with this because we are going to divest this. It's still going to be a public available facility, but it's going to be a huge economic generator for the entire province, and it will not cost taxpayers any money. It will be contributing taxpayer money by the time we're done. 
Mr. Jerry Byrne, uh, we're just about out of time here today, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, join us here on the program and uh, give us some of your insights, not just on to uh, Marble Mountain, but of course into the immigration portfolio as well. And of course, uh, giving us your thoughts on uh, the hurricane heading up uh, the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Richard. Really enjoyed the opportunity. Thank you so much. Again, that was Immigration Minister, or sorry, Minister of Immigration, Population Growth and Skills. That was Jerry Byrne. He's also the MHA for Corner Brook. That just about does it for me on today's edition of On Target. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today's edition of the program. Uh, Linda Swain back in the saddle tomorrow with another edition of the program. Not sure who she has lined up uh, for tomorrow's show, but you know it's going to be interesting no matter what. Again, thank you so much much uh, for joining us here today. Jolene is up with the news next. I'm Richard Duggan, and we'll talk to you soon.